Scooby Squad. Welcome to Puppy Dog Tales, where we share amazing true stories about man's best friend. I'm Hannah. And I'm Monica. And today's story is about Bill Irwin, the first blind man to through-hike the Appalachian Trail and the seeing-eye dog that got him there, Orient. Welcome back. Um, so today's story is probably going to be a two-parter, yeah. like at least. Sweet. It very well could be three parts. Who knows? Because like where I left off in my notes was like not even halfway through the book. So like, yeah, wow. <laughs> might be three parts. We'll see. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Can I tell you about some dogs I saw at the beach? So I went to the beach with my husband's side of the family, the pain side, and we saw, so there's this one spot where there's like nothing out there. Like it's just blank beach. It's great. It's And it's like acres of just like dunes and it's untouched. It's really gorgeous. And there was this one dog who was like, kept running into the sound and catching a ball in the sound like they would throw it into the water and they would this dog was so happy he would just like dive in and get the ball and come back and it was just like his absolute favorite thing he was super cute yeah and i can't remember i can't remember his name but they yeah we talked to their owners his owners for a while they were really nice and then this was really cute so we bought dad pain my husband's dad we bought him a kite like a really cool really nice kite for his birthday Mm -hmm. and so we were flying it and this as we're flying it this one you know owner and dog they kind of come up and I think it was like it was pretty floofy I think it was like a golden doodle or something I know and it saw the kite and it did not know what to do with itself like he was freaking out about the kite he was like barking at it and like at one point the kite fell and it hit the sand and he like it did the thing where like they get down and like onto their front two paws and do like a little play bow but their front paws are splayed you know what I mean yeah 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 so that was super cute and that was dogs I saw at the beach yeah. On Ken Thomas's house. And um, we tried to walk together on a tandem leash, and yep. I almost lost an arm the first day. Yeah. Um, but then <laughs> the next day, I got Sadie a gentle leader, and so I put both of their gentle leaders on. And besides the constant rolling around on the ground and trying to scratch their noses, yep, it like went you do. Really well. Yeah. Here comes Sadie. If you heard her little jingle. That's that's her. Um, <laughs> She's trying to figure out where she wants to be right now. And so we've been using Sadie's gentle leader a lot, and it's and Sadie's she doesn't pull too much. Yeah. Like she's not she's a she's a really good leash walker for the most part. Yeah. But like little things like make her excited, like kids and birds and cats. We have a lot of those in our neighborhood, and uh, yeah, so we've been using it on walks, and she just like goes from dog to pony. Yeah, like, she does. She looks like a little pony. <laughs> like, she she even trots like a pony. Yeah. She, like, rears her head sometimes if she's frustrated with it itching. 
But after our after our walks, I always like rub her nose a little bit to scratch it for yeah. her. Yeah. She just lays her head in my hands Aww. and she like closes her eyes. That's so sweet. So. Yeah, we love a gentle leader over here. They're awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into our story today because, again, it's probably going to be a little on the longer side. Definitely a two-parter. Could be more. We'll see. But it's a really great story, really inspiring, and not necessarily for the ways that you think. So most of my, well, all of my information for this, it comes from the book by Bill Irwin called Blind Courage. So he wrote kind of an autobiography such a good book go check it out I know I say that every time I recommend a book but like it's just true go yeah go read it yeah yeah. um a couple content warnings that I want to go ahead and put out there for you guys and we are going to be talking about um alcohol addiction um I know those can be triggering for a lot of people and then we are going to talk about religion too so Bill's faith was a huge part of his journey and so I Mm -hmm. think like, you know, it would be possible to leave it out, but I think that would just do him such a disservice because that was, like, the entire purpose of his hike. Wow. Yeah. So I know that religion can be a really tough topic for some people, so mm-hmm. just letting you know, trying to be upfront with that. So, well, let's go ahead and jump in. So on March 8th of 1990, Bill Irwin and his dog Orient set out on the Appalachian Trail in Georgia's Springer Mountain. Their goal was to hike the 2,168 miles of the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine. So, yeah, so the trail starts out in Georgia all the way up to Maine. It goes through 14 states. It's it's a serious hike. Like, this is... definitely. This is a task. Like, I think people who hike the Appalachian Trail are amazing and also a little crazy. Like, that's, that's so much... Also, to note, we are from the South. We are from North Carolina. We call it the Appalachian Trail. I know some people say Appalachian. We will be saying Appalachian. Yep. Uh, I went to college called Appalachian State University, so I feel like that makes me some of an, somewhat of an authority on I, the pronunciation. I also thereof. grew up like 15 minutes from yeah. a section of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. We call it the Appalachian down here. Yes. Oh. So dialects yeah. are a thing. Yeah. If you say it differently, that's awesome. But we're going to say Appalachian. Anyway. Yeah. So a friend of his, Marvin, drove him to the trailhead, and they initially had trouble finding where the trailhead was. It was super rainy that day. So, yeah, they kind of were a little lost just mm. even before they got on the trail. That's great. <laughs> that's how you want to start out. That's a, right. Exactly. And that made him really nervous, too, because, you know, he was blind. Mm-hmm. So Bill was pretty much fully blind. He did have some light perception, but that was about it. Oh, man. Um, so he got really nervous thinking, like, all right, well, if I can't even find where this thing starts, how am I going to figure out how to get to Maine? Um, yeah. Without maps, because he can't, can't look, at a map. look at the maps. Yeah. And without use of the blazes, because even though mm-hmm. they're there, he can't see them. And Orient doesn't know what the blazes are. Yeah. So this is going to be a huge, huge challenge. He's doing it on his own? I mean, besides his dog? It's just him and Orient. Yep. He did have a bunch of people that he kind of started 
who would meet him on the trail and he'd hike with them for a few days. Okay. And then he had a lot of company with other through hikers. So sometimes he would meet up with other through hikers and they'd hike a little portion of it together. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, overall it was just him and his dog. Yeah. So that, again, I think that's nuts even as a sighted person Yeah. <laughs> without any major physical disabilities. But yeah, so that's, it's that's amazing. Wild. It's an amazing story. So finally, his friend spotted the white blaze that marks the Appalachian Trail, and he set out. So I want to talk a little bit more, give a little backstory for Bill Irwin. So he was born August 16th, 1940, and he was born in Alabama, but I didn't know where to put this in, so I'm just going to say it. He eventually moved to Burlington, North Carolina, which is really cool because that's where my dad grew up. Yeah. So, like, I need to check with my dad if he, like new bill or because it's not a big town like it's a pretty no, small town yeah sorry. so i might check and see if they if yeah. you knew him so in 1964 he graduated from samford university with a degree in chemistry and biology and this i thought this was really cool when he was 24 he founded a lab business which he eventually sold and it became part of north carolina's lab corp oh yeah which is Whoa. that's a pretty big company yeah that's a huge company yeah a lot of our lab supplies came from in college and stuff yeah yeah and still actually as a middle school teacher oh i know yeah yeah so in 1968 that's when he began losing his vision at the time he was working multiple jobs he was teaching he was you know he had his lab business Mm -hmm. i think he was also doing some like side projects and stuff he was working a ton during One of the days he was teaching high school chemistry, he wrote a formula on the board, and he, when he looked back at it at, from a different angle, it was gone. Oh. Um, and he found out he could see it with his right eye, but not his left eye. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah so, shoes. he was diagnosed with a malignant melanoma in yeah. his left eye, and they were really concerned because of you know, how close the eye is to the brain, they were super concerned about it spreading to his brain. So they decided to remove the eye. Mm -hmm. And at that time, he was told that he was likely to die. Oh, Um, my God. Yeah, he was told, like, I can't, I didn't write it down, but I think, like, three weeks. Oh, my God. Like, he was told weeks, not months. Or if he was told months, it was, like, three months. Like, it was not a lot of time. Yeah. Um, It turned out... This sucks. It turned out once they examined the removed eye that it wasn't a cancer at all. Oh. Um, I know, which is so sad that they only found that out after they removed it. Yeah. It was a degenerative disease called, I'm going to do my best. I'm not good with the medical terms. Okay, um, chorioretinitis. Okay, yeah. Did I do okay? Sounds good to me. Cool. So, and it would... The doctor told him eventually he would become completely blind. So hmm? it sounds like his retina, like just based on it, the retina gets inflamed. And Ugh. I don't know what the first part, I can't, like I know a lot of my Latin, I know a lot of Latin roots, but yeah. I don't know choreo off the top of my head. I don't know so, that one either. But retinitis is an inflammation of the retina. So okay. that's, it probably, huh. yeah, the retina probably deteriorated. Yeah. So, yeah, his sight 
by 1976, his sight was pretty much completely gone. Again, he did have some light perception, but that was about it. Like, he couldn't really even see shape so much. Mm -hmm. He very understandably became depressed. Yeah. I can't say I would have done any better. Like, he, he was having trouble getting out of bed, getting out of the house. He wasn't very active. He... He started taking up drinking and smoking at this time just to cope, which is really sad. That's sad. I know. So in 78 was when he got his first seeing eye dog. Okay. He was really reluctant. Like, it took him two years from losing his vision to getting a dog. He was really reluctant. He was worried about being able to commit to a dog and taking care of the dog. Which it is. It's a huge commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. It is, yeah. And that was also something that he had kind of struggled with. He had multiple divorces at this point. Yeah. So he just wasn't sure if that was something he could do. But he went to the Seeing Eye training facility and met his first dog, Jory. And as soon as he got Jory he immediately stopped feeling like he was this freak. Like, he immediately felt like he could be a normal person. Mm -hmm. He was worried that having the dog would make him lose some of his independence, but he found he actually... I know. Because, like, I work with, you know, with working with a gut organization, it's all about helping people find independence. Finding independence, Yeah. yeah. Yep. So he was able to get out of the house more. He would walk multiple miles a day with Jory, and he found he gained independence. Eventually, Jory retired because of hip dysplasia. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's why a lot of gut dog places now won't even um, consider dogs that have any signs of hip dysplasia. mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think you had a dog that you raised that couldn't because of, or that was denied because of hip dysplasia. Two that were, but it was elbow dysplasia. So basically oh, okay. the same thing, but like in the front legs, not the back. Right. So once Joy retired, he got Sailor, his second dog. And then his third dog is the dog we're going to talk about, which is Orient. I love that um, name for a guide dog. It's, it's so such a good name. I love yeah. it. He was nervous. Each time he met a guide dog, he was nervous. Um, but whenever, when Bill met Orient, he called Orient's name and he bolted across the room and started licking his face like they were immediate best friends Um, so orient is a german shepherd he was born on june 6 1987 and this is a cute story his mom's name was lilac and she was one of the smartest dogs that the seeing eye center had ever had one staff member after her puppies were born they took the puppies to go weigh them mm-hmm. and she like you know latched lilac's pen door and a few minutes <laughs> later lilac's right there next to her sniffing her little litter of puppies in their basket because she had figured yep. out how to leave her crate so she could be with her babies wow yeah that sounds like my first guide dog Cassie. yeah yeah so she was a smart girl and then his dad's name was mozart nice. um and mozart was just said to be he was really large, but also, like, the sweetest dog that they'd ever had. Aww. This is I thought this was really cute. So, the I forgot to write down where the Seeing Eye Center is, but it's somewhere up north. I want to say, like, maybe Massachusetts or New Jersey, but don't quote me on that. Uh, I've heard of it. Because, um, I want to say Massachusetts. I don't know. I 
I was leaning more towards New Jersey. Um, <laughs> it, it's up. But it's there's up north. one in New York, and it's not that one. I know that. Okay. Well, it's up north. Is the point. And it's so. It's in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, I just found it. So, but what I wanted to say with that was, Orient had trouble. So again, Bill lives in North Carolina. Oh goodness. And so he had trouble adjusting to the southern dialect. That's because, hilarious. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> some commands like rest in the south, sometimes it can be a two-syllable word. You know, like sometimes oh. in the south you hear rest. Mm-hmm. So sometimes he would say see a it. word. See it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Bill would say a command and it would take Orient a minute to know what he, was, what he wanted him to do. <laughs> so I just thought that was cute. So addiction, unfortunately, just ran in the Irwin family. In 1987, his son called asking for his father's help with his own addiction. They were able to get him into a treatment center in in Burlington, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And this, so this was right after his first um, guide dog had passed. He was distraught. I mean, he had finally felt like he gained independence. And again, he did have his second dog, Sailor. But he just, it was devastating to him. And And I get that. I mean, it's devastating for anybody to lose a dog. He just had trouble coping with it. So he, in his book, he wrote about he had like two weeks worth of alcohol and he drank in two days. Um, And even then it didn't help with the loss. Yeah. So that night, his son called and asked his dad to come down to the treatment center for family week. Mm -hmm. And during that trip was when he realized that he had an alcohol addiction. Um, And that's when he admitted that he was an alcoholic, which I can't imagine. Like, that must have been so freeing for the son to hear his dad be able to admit that. Like, that must have been really healing. Mm -hmm. Um, So through his sobriety... He became a Christian and devoted his life to God. Okay. So on March 8th, 1990, this was three years of sobriety. Aww. So that was part of what led him to setting out on the trail was celebrating his three years of being sober. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he set out with Orient on the Appalachian Trail. Again, it was pouring down rain that first day. And when they started off, Orient seemed, like, really hesitant. He was like, I don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going. They hadn't been on many hikes. Like, he would walk. They would walk together a lot. But he he wasn't really a hiker. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah, I know. Uh, this is where you're going to start, buddy? I, it, you, you know, diving in. We're, oh, yeah. Respect. Yep. Hitting the ground running there. Within a hundred yards of the trailhead, Orient stopped at a rock, which is what, you know, guide dogs are trained to do. If there's an obstacle in their person's way, they stop. Mm -hmm. But Bill was thinking, like, you can't do this all the way to Maine. Like, we would never make it if you do this all the way to Maine. So he started Uh giving a light reprimand to get him to ignore the rocks. And so finally, when he walked past a rock without stopping... Bill gave him a command, or gave him a treat, gave him some praise. Because, yeah, there's a lot of rocks on the way. So at one point that first day, Bill fell. He tripped and fell. 
And Orient started whining because he was like, he saw it as a failure. Like he Aww. wasn't doing his job because that's his whole job was to prevent Bill from falling. So that sounds like Sadie. I know. <laughs> or like, because Buffy, like I fell just like on the stairs near our place. I fell. Yeah. And Buffy was so scared. Like she was so worried about me. So. Aww. Yeah, so it took a little while for Orient to kind of figure out, you know, get the ropes and get the hang of what it was that they were doing. They spent the first night at the Hawks Mountain Shelter, and Orient wasn't eating very much. I think, again, he was just like, there's a lot of information to take in. There's a lot of adjusting he has to do, and I think he was just a little overwhelmed. The next Mm -hmm. day was just as rainy, so they're hiking up. He said that the trail was several inches deep in water. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. It would. It must have been miserable. Yeah. And he writes about how much of the trail, like, if you're through hiking, so much of the trail is mental more than it is physical. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to tell himself things like, oh, well, that means that water is going to be really abundant. But, like, at that yeah. point, he was like, I don't care if water's abundant. <laughs> I want to uh, get out of the rain. I don't want it to be raining. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so day four, the rain finally let up. Um, they could finally get dry, and he was able to make it to Neil's Gap. So during these first four days, he realized pretty quickly his pack was way too heavy. He did not have the right shoes. His boots were not going to be working for him this entire trick trip trick. And Orient's pack had started to hurt him. He had developed some abrasions under his front legs. So they were really hoping when they got to Neil's Gap that someone would be able to rework um, Orient's pack. They ran into another thru-hiker who encouraged him to mail some some of his extra things to family once he got to Neil's Gap. Yeah. Which is, and that's just a small town that's along the trail. Okay. Um, so he's at least feeling like, all right, well, I have a plan. And the, the thru-hiker that they met, too, was also like, this is normal. Most thru-hikers start off with a pack that's way too heavy. So many extra things. Like, this is not a failure. This is normal. Yeah. So he's feeling a little better at that about that. And then he got lost for the first time. So they're coming down Blood Mountain. I don't know why it's named that. It's just the name. That's not pleasant. I, I mean, it doesn't sound great, but you know. <laughs> And he's and branches and leaves start hitting him in the face, mm-hmm. which is not normal when you're on the trail. Yeah. So Bill, I thought this was really smart. He just turned. He did like a ninety degree turn, turned okay. to the side and just started walking. He was like, eventually, you know, if I keep walking at this same elevation, I'll hit the trail. Because when you're going oh. up a ma- up or down a mountain, a lot of times they'll kind of, you know, do like the little zigzags. Yeah. Up or down. So he was like, at some point, I'll hit the trail if I just keep going at this elevation. Yeah. And in a few minutes, they did. So. Nice. So once they finally got to Neil's Gap, they met a couple named Jeff and Dorothy Hansen, and they helped Bill find somebody to modify Orient's pack. And it's actually a really cool story because they were trying to reach this lady, and they couldn't reach her. They couldn't get a hold of her. And then her husband just walks in the door. Because he just wow. wanted a cold soda. And so he was able to talk to her husband, and they were able to locate her to help with Orient's pack. Oh, 
Oh, good. Yeah. And Bill said that this is the type of thing a lot of people refer to as trail magic, but Bill attributes it to, you know, God looking out for him and providing. Yeah. So Jeff helped Bill decide what to keep in his pack and what to send back home. So one thing that he mentioned was he had to send home cotton clothing and get, all right, another big word, polypropylene, propylene? Polypropylene, yeah. Yeah, to replace them. So the reason why this was such a big deal is that the polypropylene helps retain body heat while allowing moisture to escape. So if it's raining, if you're wearing cotton, it's going to stick to you. Mm -hmm. It's going to get you even colder. And it's just asking for hypothermia. So the polypropylene helps prevent the hypothermia. Um, Yeah. And Jeff helped him pick out some better boots. Bill said that the whole trip, that was the most encouraging thing that happened. Because those first four days in the rain and the cold, he's he's thinking, like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. I am nuts for doing this. Yeah. Like, maybe I should just quit and go home. But this really helped encouraging him, like, I can, I can do this. So, I think they spent a day or two, at least a night, in Neil's Gap. And then they kept going on their way. And they met up with, they planned to meet with a photographer named Tom Reed. And Tom was going to, he had asked to hike with him for a few days so he could take pictures and write an article about him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So Bill was supposed to tie a bandana onto a post for Tom so that it was like a long, every now and then the, the trail will meet up with a road or cross a road. And so tying the post would tell Tom, hey, we've already passed this. Like, I've been here. So he was supposed to tie, like, a red bandana, but he forgot. So he didn't, you know, it's a lot of work to turn around and go back Mm -hmm. when you're on the trail. Um, So he ran into two hikers named John and Ed. And they were like, you know, they talked, chatted for a little bit. And then they were like, oh, we'll take the the bandana. I can't say words. Goodness gracious. (laughs) They chatted for a little bit, and then they were like, oh, we'll take that bandana for you. Like, we'll go tie it for you. They also gave Bill, they told him about where he could go camp, where he could find water. Oh, that's great. So they headed downhill. Yeah, and apparently, like, that kind of thing was super common on the trail, that people were just, like, they wanted to help each other. Like, he really calls it a family, just the way people took care of each other. That's sweet. So... They head downhill to find water. Um, he had dropped, they had found the camp, put his pack there, and then they were just going to go down, get some water, come right back up. So they go, they get some water, and they could not find their way back to the camp. Oh, no. I know. And this is at night. So, like, yeah. so, you know, Bill's already blind. Orient is now also pretty blind. Pretty like, blind, yeah. They didn't have food with them because the pack was at at the campsite. They didn't have shelter. So he kind of started just, like, weaving, um, making a little bed out of dry, out of wet leaves. Oh, no. I know. And he he said that that was his first sign of hypothermia. He was like, oh, I'm not thinking straight. Yeah. So finally it enters his brain, go find John and Ed. Mm-hmm. So... He gets up, he starts, you know, going along the trail to try to find John and Ed. He blows his whistle three times, 
which is the signal. Apparently, it's a universal signal on the Appalachian Trail for an emergency. Oh, whoa. Mm-hmm. So John and Ed found them within minutes after wow. he whistled. When they when they got to him, he was already beyond the first stages of hypothermia. Oh, no. um, so they let him spend the night with them. And then it was also good for them that Bill found them because they were almost out of water. And Bill had a lot of water supply. So oh, he was good. able to share yeah. his water with them. Yeah, so it, it's just amazing. Like, there's a lot of stories similar to that uh-huh. with the Appalachian yeah. Trail. I just, it's so nice that people, are, you know, there's that kind of spirit of taking care of each other. Yeah. So he did meet up with Tom Reed the next day, and he hiked through what's often referred to as the hardest six miles in Georgia through a boulder field. Oh, God. And I'm, like, going back to, like, day one when they first started out. Like, it would have been really bad if Orient was still stopping at every rock. Like, it's a whole field of boulders. (laughs) And then Tom Reed did write an article about Bill, and that just got a ton of media attention. Oh, that's Um, so cool. So suddenly a lot of eyes are now on Bill. When he arrived at Hot Springs, North Carolina... He was met with lots of reporters and journalists that were interested in his story. So he, I, I feel like I would be a little excited about this. He was not. Mm-hmm. Um, it made it difficult for him to do things like laundry or grocery shopping. Or like oh. he had been looking forward to Hot Springs because it was, you know, like a resort town. He was looking forward to relaxing yeah. a little bit. And then he was also on the trail. His purpose for being on the trail was to grow spiritually and personally. He was not out to try to prove anything. And he says oh. that specifically in his book, I that he was not out to prove that a blind person could hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. That was not his aim. So he kind of felt weird about all the media attention, and he was worried that it would interfere with like the spiritual growth that he was looking for. And then he also worried, yeah, he also worried it might, like, slow him down and prevent him from completing the hike. Yeah, so very fair. Very fair. Yeah, because he's having to stop and do interviews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so his, Bill's favorite part of the hike was the people he met along the way. He would meet people, they would go, like, they would camp together at night, they'd hike parts of the trail, one thing I thought was super cute, so I didn't realize this, hi- uh, through hikers will give themselves trail names. So Bill's okay. was the Orient Express. Shut up. That's <laughs> awesome. I know. It's perfect. Aww. It's so perfect. Yeah. One of Bill's biggest concerns was making sure, which is good, making sure that Orient was healthy, making sure he didn't ask more of Orient than what he could handle. So, since Orient was doing such a good job, he wanted to give Orient a break. So, he started, like, whenever they got settled at the camp for the night, he would let Orient off-leash for a little bit. Which, he says in his book, he's like, guide dogs don't know what to do with freedom. They don't, they haven't had it, they don't know what to do with it. So, he was like, looking back, not a great decision. But he asked another hiker named Steve to help keep an eye out on Orient whenever he was off leash. Uh-huh. 
So one night, Steve was going to get some water, and Bill let Orient loose, but he failed to tell Steve. He just kind of assumed. Yeah. (laughs) So when Steve came back, Bill called out to Orient, and Steve wasn't there. Steve was like, um, Orient wasn't with me. So I feel like, like, if Buffy did that, like, I would be panicking. Like, Uh I think this would cause so much panic in any dog owner. Yeah. But for Bill, this is literally life and death. Yeah. Like, this is not, again, it's not just a dog. can't keep walking. Right. The tree can't keep hiking if Orion's not there. Absolutely. Yeah. He's stuck. He's completely stuck without Orion. Orion was literally his lifeline. So him and all all the other hikers at the camp, because I think there was, like, a, a group with them, they all start looking for Orient, calling his name, running down the trail, trying to find him. So finally, about 8 p.m., which doesn't sound late for us, but when you're camping and, it's and you're, dark. And you're yeah. going by, like, when the sun sets, that can be pretty late. Yeah. So finally, Orient came walking back up, and Bill said Orient knew he had done something wrong. Uh-huh. So Bill praised him. does that a lot, too. Yeah. She makes that face. Yep. <laughs> So Bill praised him for coming back. Yeah. And then told him, you are grounded until Maine. Yeah. (laughs) No off-leash time for you, No off-leash time for you. So, yeah, each stop along the way, as he's hiking, more reporters would be there. One time, I thought this was super cute. One time a helicopter from WRAL News (laughs) in Raleigh. I know. Hometown. It was waiting for them. And... Someone asked Bill, I think there was like a crowd because they were excited about the helicopter. So someone asked Bill, hey, have you seen that blind man? And I think Bill said, oh, yeah, he's right behind me. That's hilarious. (laughs) Love that. By the time that they got to Virginia, Bill and Orient were so much, so attuned to each other. Yeah. Bill just knew if anything happened to Orient that they were done. Like, if any, if Orient couldn't keep going, they were done. He wasn't going to mm-hmm. force Orient, you know, to keep going if he couldn't. He would, like, Orient's safety was very important to him. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So he became very in tune to how much Orient was able to take. If Orient needed a break, they would sit down right away. If Orient mm-hmm. needed to be done for the day... They were done for the day. Orient was loving all the smells Aww. of, you know, on along the trail. Yeah. And it was interesting because Bill said that his own sense of smell was improving too. That's like he cool. could smell if, you know, if there's a campfire, he could smell it for, from pretty far away. And then this is another thing that I, I hadn't thought about until reading this book. Mm-hmm. So most of the Rords rewards of hiking or visual yeah like yeah i sure. personally i love to hike but i don't hike because i want the physical activity like that to me is just like an added bonus i guess i hike because yeah. i want to see the views mm-hmm. you know i want to sit it was yeah, funny because we were actually we, <laughs> we were hiking with your brother one time yeah and and he hikes because he likes the physical part. Yes. He and does. we got to like the top he likes of the mountain. The challenge of a really steep hill. Yeah. Because we, <laughs> it was um, Grandfather Mountain, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We got to the top of Grandfather Mountain, and I'm like, okay, yes, like, we're here. Like, this is, this is why I came here. And I'm like, you know, so we're sitting looking at the scenery. We, like, ate a little bit of food. Mm -hmm. And, like, five minutes later, he's like, all right, y'all ready to go? And I'm like, no. We've been here five minutes. I intended to be here for, like, an hour looking at this. (laughs) So, anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, so the rewards are hiking are those visuals, the scenery, and all of that. But Bill, you know, being blind, he can't, you know, enjoy those so much. he can't yeah. enjoy the visuals. So he said that a lot of his, like, rewards, I guess, became auditory. Well, that's um, cool. His favorite was the sound of silence. He would just look out for, he would, like, keep his ears open for the silence and just mm-hmm. try to soak it in whenever he heard it. And then he sounded... <laughs> Hearing silence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You know what I mean. I know. I get it, but it's funny. Yeah. And then he said that the sound of water just became magical to him. Like, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which I think everybody loves hearing the sound of flowing water. Like, it does something to our brains. It's just such a calming thing. But, you know, for him, having to rely on water, it became very associated with survival so, like, mm-hmm. on a hot day of hiking, hearing the sound of, like, a babbling brook or a river was just magical to him. Mm-hmm. And Orient was super helpful with the water. He kind of learned that there's always water at the bottom of the mountain somewhere. Yep. If you just keep hiking down, you'll find it eventually. Yes, you will. But hikers do need to worry about Giardia. Yep. Yeah, that's a bad. You don't want that. Uh, it happens a lot more in still in still bodies of water That's true. than in moving ones. Yeah. My whole family got it once when I was a toddler. Oh, really? In a lake. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. And we were, like, swimming in, like, this lake in Shelby. Uh-huh. And, uh, and my dad figured out, like, because we would go there, like, once a year for, like, yeah. this big picnic with their friends. And we'd get sick every time. Oh, like, no. He found it. He was like, oh, my my dad, the, the veterinarian, the vet, was like, yeah. oh, there's Giardia in that lake. And so, like, we were all just, like, so sick. Oh, my every, gosh. Like, every time. Like, once a summer. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh-uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope you stopped going back after that. I think we did. Okay, good. We at least stopped, like, getting in the water and we were careful. Yeah. I think my parents made sure we were careful not to, not to get, not to splash. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Smart. Yeah, so Orient kind of developed a nose for water. He could find springs or brooks that no one else knew existed. Oh, that's cool. And then one time they had gone, they had found a group of people sitting around a spring drinking the water. Orient would not go anywhere near the water. That's wild. Yeah, he wouldn't touch it at all. And, like, you're hiking, you're thirsty. Mm-hmm. Like, my... <laughs> my silly dog that loves to chomp all the water yeah. would have just pounced right in. Like, yep. Orient refused to go near it. And Bill refused to drink water that Orient wouldn't drink. Smart. And he never got Giardia. Whoa. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he knew somehow that that water was not good. He must have. But, yeah. like, yeah, that's pretty incredible. We've talked about dog noses before. Yeah, German so are I believe it. A higher sense, yeah. Yeah, I think somehow he knew that that water was just not safe to drink. 
So that's kind of another way that Orient was, like an unexpected way that Orient was helpful. All right. I'll probably end with this last little story just because of time. So there was one day, so Orient was trained to ignore animals so that he Mm -hmm. could do his job. So whenever Orient came to a complete stop, it was always because another hiker was crossing their path. Okay. Um, Smart. Yeah. So one day, they're walking, Orient stops in his tracks, um, and it was kind of a narrow part of the trail where they were. So Bill just said hello to the other hiker and didn't hear anything back, which was super weird. He was like, you know, most hikers are, you know, really... Like, they're happy to see you. Like, they're really polite. They'll greet you. He had never had an experience where someone would not say hello. Like, that wasn't a thing. So then Orient started growling. Oh, no. Yeah. And this time there was a reply. It was, Mm -hmm. like, a very low grunting sound. Uh Uh-oh. So he figured, this is a bear. Yeah. So the best way... To face a bear. He was, he had taken, he had taken a wilderness class and a class on the Appalachian Trail before he started off. He didn't just like wake up one morning and decide this. This is, he did prepare. Um, So in that class, he learned when you're facing a bear, you need to stand your ground Mm -hmm. and just talk to the bear in a quiet voice, just like if you were talking to a person. Yeah. So he just starts talking to the bear. He's talking to it for like five minutes, just trying to tell him, hey, we don't really have a lot of food in our pack. We're not Mm -hmm. dangerous. We don't want to hurt you. There are berries on that bush over there, and we're not going to take them. You should Mm -hmm. go get the berries. But eventually the bear did turn towards the woods, and Orient and Bill were able to continue on their way. Wow. Dealing with that without sight is crazy. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. All right. Yeah. I'm going to bring us a little breed spotlight on the German Shepherd. Which is crazy that we haven't done that yet. I know. Um, we were talking about that. I was like, oh, we've done a German Shepherd before. <laughs> and then we had not. We haven't. Yeah. Nope. So uh, I'm fond of the German Shepherd. It's my little girl. Yeah. Is a third German Shepherd. Yep. She shows it a little bit sometimes. And can you help me out with the pronunciation of the German term? Yes, I can. Term? So the German term would be Deutsche Schäferhund. Deutsche Schäferhund. All right. So... That this is their history, family of herding dogs that varied from district to district. In the 1800s, a military captain named Max von Stefanitz, 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 uh, yeah, made it his goal to breed the perfect German herder dog. Um, so he took a lot of different herding dogs. It sounds a lot, a lot like some of the other older breeds that we've yeah. talked about, like the uh, the <laughs> the lassie. Yeah. The coll- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah collies. The collies. Yeah. I call collies lassie when I can't think of the word collie. <laughs> I mean, it's it helps. Fine. It does. I get um, it. So, they got lots of different types and bred them to create the German Shepherd. They were discriminated against after World War One, basically, from anti-German yeah. sentiment. 
And so were dachshunds. Yeah. I do get it, but it makes me really sad. It is. It's Like, sad. the dogs don't have anything to do with that. Yeah. They're just so. really smart. <laughs> yeah. They're just a really good herding dog. Yeah. Um, as the demand for herding declined, they were marketed for being the ideal canine worker, and now the preferred dog for police and military globally. Yeah. Despite... Which, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, when I think of a German Shepherd, like, police dogs do come to mind... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So despite some, they do have, they can have a bit of a negative association at times still, I think, for being aggressive. And I think it's probably because of, in part because of the police dog association. But they're very strong. Yeah. Like that's part of it too. Yeah. So, but they are great family dogs yeah they're very affectionate super loyal and known to be good with kids mm-hmm. like, on the akc <laughs> website like where it has yeah like it has like you know the little traits and stuff the good with kids that bar is all the way i can attest with that yeah with sadie sadie like every yes. time she's met a kid she's been phenomenal like yeah. she just sits behind my knees Aww. like she struggles with four and five year olds because for some reason they make her the most excited. Because I've yeah. seen her like not jump on eight like little kids that are a little older than that. But she has the hardest time not jumping when it's like a four or five year old. That's um, so interesting. I wonder yeah. why that is. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, they they're okay with their dogs, but their their protective nature can make them wary. Yeah. And Sadie's like that at night. I'll attest to that. Like, yeah. They're very protective and very trainable. I've always said my girl loves rules. Um, <laughs> she does. <laughs> she loves to know what the rules are. Very high energy and needs lots of mental stimulation. And overall, they're healthy, They but they can't experience bloat due to their height. I added a couple things here that I've heard. Hip and elbow dysplasia can be a bad one, mostly hip, mm-hmm. um, because they were inbred a lot. I think probably when the breed started to thin out a little bit after World War One. And their breed standards started to be bred to have a sloped back. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, true. Which is very bad for hips. It's one of the reasons that I actually didn't really want a German Shepherd. But, I mean, I got a mix, so yeah. she has no back problems. She's no. um, a really nice back, actually. Yeah, she does. Um, but, yeah, they, it can the sloped back can lead to some back problems. Back and for sure. hip issues, for yeah. sure. But yeah, I I went back to the German to the AKC site too. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they don't need to be brushed a lot. It says, but they also are known to shed a lot. Yeah, which is a little funny. They've got the double coat, and it's medium in length. So yeah, but they're they they love to be trained. They yes. Will, they will be trained to whatever you train them to. They'll they'll be whoever you want them to be. Yeah. Basically. You just, if you tell them to be that thing, they will be that to the nth <laughs> degree. Like, yes. uh, they, <laughs> <See>? <laughs> that's my cow. Um, yeah. That's, sometimes he sounds like a cow. But. <laughs> that makes sense too, like with her spots. Anyway. Yes, it does. Oh my God. But. Yeah, they they take everything you tell them and do it to the highest degree possible. Yeah. They're a, which makes them a really cool breed but can also make them mm-hmm. 
you gotta be careful with how you train them. Yeah. Basically is what I'm saying. Just be um, very yeah, very intentional with their training. Yeah. But oh. yeah. That's German Shepherds. Those are German Shepherds. And, and I had put like for the arbitrary dog rating, but we're not at the end of the story. So maybe we'll save that for Okay. Part two or three, depending on how many parts that's, there are. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> we'll Alrighty. see. But yeah, so make sure you tune in next Thursday so you can hear the rest of Orient's story. It's a really sweet story. Really inspiring. Yeah, and I'll so. be on a cruise. Yeah, jealous. Have fun without me. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, so make sure to follow us on Instagram. You can follow us at... Pod. You can also email us stories about your dog or send in suggestions of stories you want to hear at puppydogtailspod at gmail.com. And don't forget to spell tales like a story. I was literally about to say that. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Look at us. Twins. (laughs) And in the meantime, keep calm and wag on.